Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast with your host, Anastasia Glova. In today's episode, Richard Rahn and I discuss the rise of anti-Americanism among European economic and business circles. Richard's remarks on this topic appeared recently in Tech Central Station and as a Cato Daily Commentary. Richard is Director General of the Institute for Global Economic Growth and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Is European anti-Americanism really something to worry about? There is an element of plain old good fun between rivals across the Atlantic, so why do you see it as a threat? Well, there's an element of plain old good fun, and it's been going on since the American Revolution or even before. But it sometimes has rather dangerous ramifications. When we talk about different types of trade protectionism, tax protectionism, tax information sharing, violations of intellectual property rights. And the U.S. and Europe have the world's largest joint economic relationship. More than a trillion dollars worth of trade in goods and services takes place between the EU and the United States each year. About half of all U.S. foreign investment is in Europe. We hear about Asia and Japan and China all the time. But it is Europe where our biggest single trading relationship takes place, our biggest single investment relationship takes place, and the same thing is true with the Europeans investing in the United States. And it's fine to have like a football rivalry between a couple of state schools, but you don't want to start penalizing each other and diminishing the amount of trade or investment through ill-thought-out rules, regulations, and taxes. And that's what I'm concerned about. How exactly is that economic interdependence threatened by this anti-Americanism? Give me some examples. Well, for instance, the French have become very protectionist about French companies. Or let's say the problems that Microsoft in general has had in Europe. The European attitude towards antitrust is very different than ours. Our antitrust is basically to protect the consumer. The Europeans have it to protect their producers and not their consumers. And so an American company who is doing better consumer service in terms of producing goods and services and is highly competitive will be penalized by the Europeans because they're fearful they'll drive their less efficient firms out of business. These sound like recent rivalries. So isn't a better term for this anti-Bushism instead of anti-Americanism where Europeans dislike Americans as a people? It's not so much disliking Americans as a people. I spent a lot of time in Europe, and you know, you don't get the impression that we as individuals are disliked. There's a great deal of dislike of Bush and his foreign policies and just his style, you know, the, the cowboy style. I often like to rile my European friends by pointing out that I'm pro-gun, that I own guns. I had my first gun when I was 12, and uh, Europeans never like that kind of thing, but that's just to needle them some. But some of the anti-Bushism gets so shrill that it becomes almost irrational, and then it spills over into the Europeans trying to put a savings directive on the U.S., wanting all kinds of financial information on Europeans who have bank accounts in the United States. Basically, the Europeans want U.S. bankers to be their tax collectors, which is a totally inappropriate role for U.S. bankers. Fortunately, the Bush administration has resisted this. The Clinton administration was actually in favor of it. So it's a temporary rivalry. It really is anti-Bushism and not anti-Americanism. It goes beyond Bush. 
It is a jealousy, I think, the fact that the U.S. continues to be more successful. If you go back with a little recent history, in the 1950s and 1960s, Europe grew much more rapidly than the U.S. did coming out of the ashes of World War II, and they had lower tax rates than we did. But by the late 1970s and early 1980s, the European countries were transforming themselves into welfare states. Their taxes and regulations went up very high. And still, since the Reagan period, there has been much slower economic growth in Europe, about half our growth rate. And the Europeans have been falling behind. By 1980, the Europeans, on average, had roughly 80% of America's per capita income. That's fallen back. And Europe just hasn't done as well as we have. And there's a lot of jealousy. They view us as a threat to their welfare state. And, of course, a lot of us are glad that we're a threat to their welfare states because we look at welfare states as highly destructive. Do you think that with the election of so-dubbed Sarkozy the American in France, that signs will be pointing up? I'm encouraged by it, and the things that Sarkozy has been doing, and I was just attending a meeting today of an international group, a number of distinguished French economists and lawyers and so forth, and I just found them much more upbeat, and the dialogue was much more positive than it's been. And with first the election of Angela Merkel, who was not anti-American, Sarkozy, who's not anti-American, I think this is helping out a lot because the polls have always been rather pro-American and the British leadership is not anti-American. So I think we're going to have a little better cooperation. And then also some of Bush's early arrogance towards the Europeans, I think that has been tempered. So uh, I tend to be an optimist and I see things perhaps getting a bit better. Now, Tony Blair has been a friend of the United States, but his poll numbers show that most people in Britain have come to resent his support for President Bush's policies. So how do you think that Gordon Brown's ascension in Britain will affect transatlantic relations? Well, this is the great debate, what Brown will actually do. Brown does not have the kind of sort of that positive, upbeat personality that Blair has. Brown is more of a dour Scotsman. Brown is smart. He's been shown to be practical over the years, so it's unlikely that he's going to do anything to really cause Britain a lot of problems or do anything really deliberately to cause the relationship much problem. But I think in a way that many Americans were rather taken by Tony Blair. I mean, he's got that charming personality. He plays like an American politician. From what people tell me about Gordon Brown, and I don't know him, I'm getting this secondhand from people who do know him, that he doesn't play particularly well on TV, and he's not sort of an American-style politician. But we shall see. Now, since this economic warfare is so destructive to both sides, how can we go about subduing it? There's several things that need to be done. One is there needs to be more discussion about really what is going on. When you have Well, some of these earlier French attacks on us under the old government, we're not going to have that, I think, on a Sarkozy. So we had this sort of rather intense feeling, particularly towards French and vice versa. I think that's already being subdued. Business people need to be much more active and much more involved in explaining the real problems. Business people tend to underinvest in public policy. 
even though it affects their bottom line to a very great extent. Many years ago, when I was chief economist of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, I used to chide the folks in the business community and say they underinvested in public policy because rules, regulations, taxes can have much bigger impact on their bottom line than often their competitors' actions. Many of them have sort of learned how to deal with Washington. They are just beginning to learn how to deal with Brussels. And many European firms still don't know how to deal much with Washington. And part of it is the business community getting out there and explaining what destructive rules and regulations actually do. But there are good signs in Europe. I mean, the Europeans came up with some really bad employment policies. The French with their 35-hour work week. Now Sarkozy said, we got to get rid of this. And all these limits on overtime. And the Germans are moving to free up their labor markets. Well, one big problem the Europeans have, it makes it very hard to start a new business. So you have many European entrepreneurs, many Frenchmen, Germans, and others who come to the United States to start a new business because the process is so long and difficult and there are so many obstacles in Europe. And I think the Europeans are beginning to wake up and say, hey, there's something to the Anglo-Saxon model after all, particularly in terms of entrepreneurship. Finally, of course, there's the flip side of this, which is American anti-Europeanism. To what extent is this concerning? American anti-Europeanism. That is a problem. Not a great a problem because Americans aren't trying to get Europeans or impose our particular systems on them. I mean, the United States has always been a bit of a leave-us-alone type nation, and we, we like trade with the rest of the world and maybe go on vacation, but we really don't want to be involved with the rest of the world, even though we often do get too involved with the rest of the world. And of course, George Washington, in his farewell address, warned us against the kind of foreign entanglements that we often get involved with, and that causes not only resentment against Europeans, but the rest of the world. And I think the American attitude is, why can't the rest of the world behave like us where we get along perfectly well? But there's no movement here in the United States to discriminate against European firms. Europeans are free to buy land to invest in American stocks. In fact, we do not tax foreigners on interest in capital gains and dividends earned in the United States. We are a big tax haven for the rest of the world. So Europeans and others get a much fairer shake in the U.S. than we tend to in their countries. So I think to the extent there's anti-Europeanism in this country, it doesn't show itself in the forms of destructive economic policies on our part, for the most part. Now you've got Senators Dorgan and Levin of going after, quote, offshores and trying to blame the rest of the world because we have the highest court tax rate and companies are moving out. But these are self-induced problems in the United States. When our tax rate is higher than all the European countries, a corporate tax rate, that is, of course, corporations are going to move to lower tax jurisdictions if they're in the global marketplace. If they don't, they put themselves at a competitive disadvantage. The correct policy is not to go after other countries for having lower tax rates, but for us to reduce our tax rate so it is internationally competitive. Thank you, Richard. And thank you for listening to the Cato Daily Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to consider giving to Cato, please visit us at www.cato.org.